Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the London Circle. Today, we'll be talking about everything to do with Pakistan, about its regional strife, about the challenges internal and external, and the potentials for Pakistan to be the kind of force that it probably deserves. I'll be discussing this and many more with Mohammed Abdi Shakur, who is the ex-president of Khidma Foundation. He's in charge of the global arm thereof, as well as Asif Luqman Qazi, the director of foreign relations for Jama'a Islamiyah. Enjoy. It's quite interesting how when we talk about uh, nuclear powers around the world, Obviously, you have the big states like Russia and China and the United States of America, as well as certain European countries. And then when we talk about other states like Iran or Israel or India, but we often omit to remember that Pakistan is also uh, a nuclear state. And uh, that the... Um, a responsible nuclear state. A responsible nuclear state? Yeah. That's, that's absolutely fine. I, I, I believe that that is uh, an adequate uh, description. Um, and Pakistan is a country with uh, quite a legacy and quite a heritage, quite a history, um, whether it be in terms of the, the military, but also in terms of the cultural, the terms of it being located in a, uh, in a crossroads of cultures, of identities, of faiths. Um, but there's, there's also no escaping the fact that since its inception uh, in 1947, Pakistan has constantly faced challenges, internal as well as external. But probably today, more than at any other junction, probably because of global politics, probably because we are seeing a reordering of, of geopolitics around the world, probably because of the Russian-Ukrainian war, probably because of the rise of nationalism in India. Generally speaking, if we were to try to describe Pakistan today, how would that, how would that seem? How would that look? Well, uh, today, if, if you are talking about today, uh, it doesn't look very optimistic. And uh, there are uh, political disappointments. There's an economic crisis. There are security issues. And of course, uh, whenever the world hears about Pakistan, it's usually not a good news. And, uh, but uh, I, I would say that Pakistan in its uh, 75 years of history has faced so many crises and uh, in various phases of its uh, existence. Uh, in the very beginning, uh, it uh, uh, there was a crisis of what what should be the identity of Pakistan, and it it took uh, almost ten years to to decide. And uh, through political dialogue, the various uh, political uh, quarters, various political parties. They ultimately came to a consensus uh, on on a unanimous, uh, unanimously agreed constitution, and I think that was uh, an achievement. And they they agreed on um, uh, some principles of policy. Uh, it's it's called the objectives resolution, and uh, it's the preamble uh, preamble of the constitution of Pakistan. And it gave Pakistan its ideological identity and uh, the basic principles of governance, how the state of Pakistan is going to be governed. 
So uh, I think the biggest uh, achievement of Pakistan was to have this document, a unanimously agreed constitution. Among Muslim countries, uh, I think it's, uh, I, it's very rare that we have a unanimously agreed constitution. And we achieved it right in the beginning of our existence. Uh, after that, Pakistan has faced several crises. We faced dismemberment of the country. Uh, we faced uh, uh, wars in our neighborhood in Afghanistan. And uh, after 9-11, we faced uh, a long wave of uh, terrorism and also natural disasters. Of course. Uh, we have faced all this. And uh, still, I'm optimistic about the re resilience of Pakistani nation. Pakistanis are a resilient nation. And it's a big nation. It's the fifth largest country in the world uh, in terms of population. And, and by the way, I mean, uh, you mentioned the resilience of, of Pakistan and also its people, of course. Um, it's, uh, it's a fact that uh, Pakistanis occupy many countries in the world. Probably wherever you go, you will find a Pakistani community. Definitely here in the UK, there is quite a sizable um, uh, Pakistani or Pakistani or, orig uh, origin um, community that has uh, a large influence on everyday life, whether it be in terms of politics. We have a number of MPs and House of Lords and uh, also members of the media. You know the, the mayor the, of London, the, the mayor of London, of course. So, the 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 legacy of Pakistan, the reach of Pakistan. I mean, albeit that we are talking today about Pakistan, the country, and the the kind of strategic or geopolitical or even natural challenges that it it it, it, it comes across. But the actual fact that its reach is so global is is definitely a a mark to behold. Definitely, uh, if you go to USA. Canada, many other places in the Middle East, Pakistani doctors, engineers, uh, and so many skilled workers all around the world, they are present there. And it's a big strength for Pakistan. Now, internally, as uh, Asif said, uh, we do know that there are so many challenges we have to face. But one very strong point is that uh, Perhaps among Muslim countries, this is the only nation which is stick with its constitution. And everybody agrees on that. Now, the difficulties are there. We have some difficult relationship with the establishment and also at the same time, landlords and many other uh, mafias, which we have to deal with them. But uh, within society, now there is a trend and resilience to change the situation. And I do hope that the new equilibrium uh, will soon be arrived. When, when you, you mentioned that kind of landscape, um, you mentioned the, the land uh, landowners, you mentioned the, the mafias, the cartels, of, um, and you also mentioned the establishment. Were these uh, elements that emerged over time over the past 75 years, or were they probably uh, cemented by virtue of the nature of the Pakistan that emerged in 1947? How, I mean, how did that come about? Well, my personal view is that uh, they are cemented. They were there. They were there even before? 
even before Pakistan, the landlords, the uh, the legacy which uh, the Britishers uh, left behind was of the same uh, type of people. And, and an unfortunate scene was that the uh, movement for Pakistan was not uh, driven within the territory which is now in Pakistan. Yeah. We had Aligarh from where a lot of students and intellectuals were born, Hyderabad, which was another educational town. Many people migrated from there and other areas. So all the good institutions, Muslim good institutions, were in India. In Pakistan, whatever we had, some colleges made by the British government. Uh, and then, of course, the military, this most strong institution in Pakistan, which is a plus for Pakistan because our sovereignty depends on military. We have enemies on uh, left, right. But at the same time, of course, when they have uh, power, they, they, absolute power yeah. corrupts absolutely. So the, the, the system and, is and hung the with establishment, that. The military establishment does encroach from time to time in fact, quite often, one could yes, say, into political and civ civilian life. Is that, is that not yeah, a challenge? Yeah, that, that's all over the Muslim countries. Like the, the deep state or the military, it is not content with its own, uh, its own boundaries of uh, the constitution. It always oversteps its constitutional limits. And uh, Pakistan is no exception. Uh, and... Uh, this is one of the major political problems of Pakistan. Uh, the deep state that uh, includes uh, primarily military and also uh, the judiciary and also the civil service. Uh, it, it interferes in the uh, outside their domain, uh, the, the constitutional domain, and it, it interferes in the political decision making and uh, there is a checkered history. Um, the elections uh, have always, uh, there were question marks on election that there has been uh, pre-electoral and post-electoral engineering. And uh, the, the, the desires and ambitions of people, the will of people, that was not respected. Uh, despite the fact that uh, we have democratic traditions, old democratic traditions, and uh, the people of Pakistan have always uh, very uh, zealously guarded their fundamental rights. Even in times of uh, military dictatorships, uh, no military dictator has ever been able to uh, usurp the fundamental rights or the uh, freedom of speech. So press was always free and uh, like people used to assemble even in military rules. They used to organize rallies. So Pakistan uh, has a mix of success and failures. It has its share of I failures. I mean, obviously, I, I, you can't even start to compare Pakistan with, let's say, the majority of the Arab world, where there is no such institutions of democracy, where there is no virtually elections held, uh, where there is no freedom of press and media and the like. So obviously from, from that particular standpoint, you can't really, uh, really compare like for like. I mean, it's not, uh, but, um, but Pakistan finds itself today in a very precarious situation. 
Now, I would suggest that out of that situation, as challenging as it is, there are many opportunities that Pakistan could use, even in terms of global politics, because of its positioning, because of its location, because of its borders. Because on the borders of Pakistan, you have Afghanistan, which is of immense interest to the entire world and could destabilize the entire region, as we saw over the course of the past 30 years. From the other side, from the other north, we have Iran, which is also uh, a point of contention in, in, in global politics. And towards its south, we have India, which is now one of the uh, largest growing populations demographically in the world, largest economies probably in the world, and its reach is, um, is formidable. Sure. And not in the north is China. And then you have, of course, China. And China particularly is quite interesting vis-a-vis -vis the relationship with Pakistan because this so-called the new Silk Road comes straight through Pakistan, which would suggest that there is a strategic interest, not just a, a sort of a, a contract or economic relationship, but actually a strategic interest in this relationship with, with, with China. But how, amidst all of this, how does Pakistan grow? Because, as I said, I mean, amongst these immense challenges, there comes opportunities. But with so much instability, with so much question marks surrounding Pakistan from every corner, how can Pakistan actually grow? How do you, how do you see that? What's the opportunities? There are challenges, there is no doubt. There are... Uh geopolitical challenges. Um, Pakistan has uh, always struggled to balance its relations uh, between United States and uh, China, All, although they, uh, they both have conflicting interests in, in the region. But uh, at the same time, United States has remained its largest uh, trading partner and economic partner. And also in terms of uh, military equipment, uh, United States is the biggest provider of military equipment to Pakistan. But at the same time, relations with China uh, are like um, the stabilizing factor in the region. Because as you said, uh, Pakistan relies on China strategically. And it has always, um, across party lines, uh, all parties, have respected this, these relations and uh, all political parties, the military and uh, the deep state and the people of Pakistan, they want uh, to strengthen our relations with China. And in the context of One Belt, One Road, it, it gave Pakistan uh, a fresh air of optimism. Leverage? Uh, leverage and optimism. CPEC was the most important uh, international component of One Belt, One Road. But uh, what CPEC could do is provide a platform. The rest was up to Pakistani government to, to make a roadshow out of it and to woo uh, private businesses from around the world uh, to have industrial zones in Pakistan and to promote business uh, obviously, governments can do up to an extent. A foreign government can do up to an extent. The rest was up to Pakistani government to make the, the best out of it. Uh, unfortunately, Pakistani successive Pakistani governments uh, did not face up to this challenge. 
and uh, uh, that uh, air of optimism is no more there. Uh, now, I think uh, our challenge is, the foremost challenge is to address our political crisis. Because if there is political stability, then economic stability will follow. Before, before I come to the, to the political crisis, I'd like to ask about the constitution. You mentioned that the constitution cemented Pakistan's ideology and the ideology, uh, sorry, the identity of Pakistan, the word that's used. What identity is that? What's, what's the, if I was to ask, what's the identity stipulated by, by virtue of the constitution? Well, the constitution had made a, a, a very positive role, even for the forces which are hostile mm. to our political system. Mm. I mean, uh, we had two martial laws uh, in the past, after this constitution was accepted by Pakistani parliament. They did not dare to suspend the constitution or change the constitution. Even uh, despite the martial laws? But despite martial law. So we survived that. And the nation is stick with that. That is one thing very positive for Pakistans. And uh, I think even in future, I mean, we may face many, many challenges, but this one point will be common among Pakistanis that we have to follow the constitution and not to abrogate that or make any any abrupt uh, cancellation of that. So this is the strength for us. But on the other end, what you were saying, uh, th the things which uh, we are facing as China and the Western powers, the relationship is very unique. China is not only economically important for us, even for our safety. China's backing is very important because we are facing India on that end and of course India and China. So we have a very unique position in which China and Pakistani relationship goes hand by hand. But at the same time, our relationship with the West, I mean, we have millions of people living in Europe, in England, in America, and of course our education system is in English and our so many ties are there. So. To keep the balance between this relationship is a challenge. And uh, uh, of course, Pakistan is trying to make that balance. Now, our internal problems, as uh, Asif said, are fundamentally important. If we can overcome the political crisis within Pakistan, we are in a much better position to play our role. Of course. Now, uh, okay, so so let's come to the to the internal crisis. I mean, uh, at this moment of time, the, the big story that everyone is watching is the story of Imran Khan. But Imran Khan, I feel, is um, an example or a symptom of a wider political strife internally. Now, whether that's because of the establishment, because of the role of the military, whether it's because of the, as you put it, the landowners and the, the, the gangs, the cartels. I'm not entirely sure. How would you come to describe this internal political strife? That not only for now, but generally speaking, that we hear of you know, time and time again every few years, sometimes every few months. Yes, uh, military intervention has always been there. There is no doubt Imran Khan is very popular at the moment. But uh, the way he gained this popularity, there, there is a background to, 
to it as well. Uh, the way he rose to prominence and uh, to political prominence and to power uh, is not also, also not uh, uh, like devoid of military intervention. The way so many people joined him in the beginning in, in 2013 and 14, and the way he got all these media attention and the way uh, like they claim to be on one page with him. Uh, so there is history to uh, Imran Khan rising to prominence as well. And it's not, uh, po political intervention is part of it. So uh, again, when, when he was uh, overthrown, uh, it, it, again, there is some, some kind of engineering behind it and the deep state is involved in it. Um, now, uh, the way out of it, what we suggest is that everybody respect uh, the constitution limit which are prescribed for political parties, for military, for judiciary, all state organs and political parties and media, they have to respect their constitutional limits. And the way out of it is to uh, end this polarization and end this uh, ever-increasing conflict and uh, adopting uh, an approach of uh, like uh, coming to terms with each other, rising above personal uh, agendas and putting national agenda uh, first uh, and foremost and uh, and go according to the constitution the way constitution and the constitutional way out of it is elections there has there has to be fresh elections uh, the only thing that that uh, the difference between the government and the opposition at the moment are a few months like there some some want it early as early before june and uh, according to the Tenure, uh, it has to be in October or something. So there are four months uh, approximately. Um, but I have to say, I mean, notwithstanding anything that you've just said, Imran Khan comes across as a very impressive, very charismatic political leader. The things that he say, he says, resonate, I'm pretty sure, with swathes of particularly young Pak uh, Pakistanis, as well as people outside of Pakistan who are interested in regional, uh, in that particular region's politics. Um, so whilst there might have been certain uh, assistant elements to his rise, but um, he's certainly someone who commands respect, let's just say, when, when he comes across in, in the public arena. But it's, it's, uh, it's quite interesting how uh, the uh, the establishment seems to be undecided. I mean, from from our perspective here in the UK, for instance, seems to be undecided as to Imran Khan whether to give him the limelight and to give him, you know, the, the, that kind of platform, or whether to try to curtail his progress and try to eliminate his his attempts to to, to rise. So, what is the situation in regards with Imran Khan specifically? Well, leaving beside the uh political personalities. Yes. Basically, the struggle is between the space which politicians want from the military to govern Pakistan, since Ayub Khan and then Ziaul Haq 
and then Pervez Musharraf, and then the power which establishment is holding now. And they have been making so many abrupt changes in their attitudes and who should govern Pakistan, I mean, uh, by, by face. Otherwise, they are behind. Imran may become a symbol of uh, resistance against those forces who are not willing to let political system strive. If it comes there, whatever the elections the results are there, uh, my feeling is that they, that that should be given the space. If it does not happen, we may have another crisis in which we have to go. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, my uh, feeling is that the political parties, instead of fighting among them, should be united on one agenda, that we have to create a space for politicians to govern this system. And agreeing on such agenda would make our future much safer than what conflicts are going on right now. Uh, who can dare to come forward and uh, make this uh, dangerous situation into a hope is really something. Uh, Imran is frustrated at, at, at this time point. And of course, the, the governing parties are uh, frustrated as well. Uh, so we have to come up with some kind of, uh, you know, uh, agreement among the forces which are running the whole show. Let's talk about the Jama'a Islami. Uh, the Jama'a Islamiyah is uh, a crucial component of uh, Pakistan society and Pakistan politics. Uh, Jama'a Islamiyah have been around um, for a very long time, even before the establishment of, uh, of Pakistan. Um, and its role in public life is undeniable. Its uh, impact on Pakistani politics um, is variably quite significant. Um, I, I happen to recall, and you will correct me, that uh, Jama'a Islamiyah were part of governing coalitions in the past. And um, there were many a time when Jama'a Islamiyah were certainly the second most powerful political element. I'm not entirely sure what the situation is now. Where does Jama'a Islamiyah find itself today? Well, Jama'a Islamiyah has uh, several aspects of its uh, uh, its struggle and its movement. Uh, elections are one part of it. Uh, Jama'a Islamiyah is an intellectual movement. It is also a reform movement, a societal reform movement. Uh, it it is a welfare. It has a welfare uh, aspect to its uh, struggle as well. Uh, cha charity aspect to it as well and it has an educational agenda as well so there are several aspects of jamaat islami's struggle and uh, it has been uh, it has played a very important role right from the beginning um in in fact uh, pakistan uh, the way pakistan get got its identity and its country islamic identity and its uh, the, the the Islamic injunctions in the constitution was primarily because of uh, Jamaat Islami's struggle because it rallied the whole nation behind uh, the objectives for which Pakistan was uh, established. Um, and also uh, after that, Jamaat Islami has been um, in limelight and in the forefront for fundamental rights, 
for the supremacy of constitution and for uh, the rights of the people of Pakistan. And uh, we have had opportunities uh, of being part of provincial governments, the regional governments, uh, sometimes in, in the national governments as well as a coalition partner. Um, in, in, uh, from 2002 to 2007, it was part, Jamaat was part of uh, an alliance, the Islamic Party's alliance, which was uh, the second largest group in the parliament. And, and it formed uh, two, uh, in two provinces, it formed the provincial governments. Parties like Pakistan are an asset to, to, to the nation because of several reasons. Uh, number one, uh, it is the only political party which has uh, an internal democratic structure and which holds regular elections for all positions. It is perhaps the only party in Pakistan on whose leadership and uh, the integrity of whose leader, there is no question mark. There are no corruption charges on, on uh, Jamaat's leadership. And uh, the, the, welfare, uh, the welfare services that it has provided in several catastrophes, uh, they are well recognized and respected beyond Pakistan's boundaries. And a crucial part of, uh, of resolving those, those humanitarian crises. Crucial part. And, and, and world bodies have recognized the, the role of its uh, welfare. So uh, Jamaat Islami enjoys respect. Even uh, people who vote for uh, um, Imran Khan or people who vote for Nawaz Sharif, if you ask them, what is your second choice? The second choice will always be Jamaat Islami. So they don't have a negative vote. We have had challenges uh, in getting in the number of seats, probably because our leadership is from the middle class. And uh, the political system is such that it is uh, like overshadowed by the feudal lords. And since we have all the middle class leadership, uh, we face challenges. But there have been moments of success. For example, lately, we won Karachi. We emerged as the largest party in Karachi, which is the largest city of Pakistan, uh, in the local bodies' elections. And uh, um, we, we have been successful in rallying public support in parts of Balochistan as well. And we have our own pockets in uh, Khyber Pukhtunkhwa province, which borders Afghanistan. We have our own uh, pockets in that province as well. So we are hopeful that uh, we will do better in the next elections. Uh, we don't make very tall claims, but over, over the medium term, I'm quite optimistic that there are so many opportunities for Jamaat Islam. How easy or otherwise is it for an Islamic party to operate within a country that clearly identifies itself alongside Islam? You know, Pakistan identifies itself as a Muslim sure. country and a Muslim nation. That was the whole um, pillar of its founding, that it was Muslim. How easy is it? Or how difficult is it for an Islamic party to actually operate and gain political ground within a country that clearly has no problem with the Muslim identity? Yes, that, that, that may be an opportunity and that may be a challenge as well. Because 
why Muslim Brotherhood uh, was successful in Egypt? Because Islam's role in politics was curtailed for so long. And there, there were uh, ambitions of people but, which but were... With all due respect, but Egypt doesn't identify itself as Muslim, essentially, to the core, like Pakistan. That's what I'm saying. Yes. That it may have given an opportunity because the people, the government does not identify, exactly. the state does so not it identify. Covered, it covered a vacuum. Yeah, it, it, it created a vacuum. Correct. The people, people all over the Muslim world, they identify themselves with Islam. There are dictatorships yeah. which, uh, which tries and attempts to curtail it and to limit it. So, uh, because Pakistan, in Pakistan, uh, it was decided right in the beginning that it will be an Islamic state. So perhaps that's no more an issue. Islam is no more an issue. The issue now is governance and how we stabilize the country economically, politically, and security-wise. These are our challenges. Islam is no more... Uh, a contentious a, issue. A contentious issue. Yes. Forwarding the viewpoint which uh, Brother Asif has said, mashallah, and uh, very rightly, the issue which we are facing is showing people the leadership which is capable of solving the economic, political, and other issues of Pakistan. Uh, we have successes and we have failures. Uh, some of the problems we, which we are facing is that being a party of middle-class people, we don't have many resources with us. By the way, why is that? Uh, I, I'll tell you that. The issue of middle-class. I mean, that's, that's Yeah, the middle-class issue is that in Pakistan, the, uh, the landlords and the mill owners, and they have occupied this space with their uh, many, many resources with them. And what happens is that when one party leaves the power, all of them go to another party which they think is going to uh, be in the power in future. So basically, any of them, I'm not naming any, any personality, but whosoever has to come to power, they will invite all those corrupt people with them and let them go. Uh, Jamaat Islami, tries to stay away from this kind of blackmailing and try to keep their members as a leader for the elections and others. But this is not the only reason for the failure. Basically, again, focusing less on uh, ideological issues, more on problem solving, as in Karachi we have seen it that uh, the leadership of Jamaat in Karachi focused on issues which Karachi was facing, electric, uh, census, uh, the big mafia which was holding land and not giving the rights to people. So the leadership took this challenge and merged into that. Now, we have to open the door for middle-class people to come into Jamaat all those who have a better and a clean background in certain other areas, we have to be open for them and focusing on the political issues. I think Jamaat can uh, miraculously uh, make a big change in future if we adopt all those policies.
Tell me about uh, your organization. You're the former president of Khidmat. And I'm guessing that with the, um, the prevalence of poverty, deprivation, the lack of basic services in many, many areas throughout Pakistan, that your work is, is immense. I mean, the efforts that you need in order to cater for, 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 for the need that is there must be quite significant. When did the Khidmat first start? Well, Khidmat started in 1993, but it merged in earthquake in 2005. And our first president from Karachi, Nehmetullah Khan, who was the mayor of Karachi, and he did a wonderful work there. So he took the lead, and during, especially during the earthquake, so Al-Khidmat started to be recognized in the field. Then later on, many other changes came there. And uh, of course, organizational structure and uh, uh, workers training and volunteers movement, all that started in two, uh, 2012 and 13. Then came uh, a big flood in Pakistan, uh, coronavirus, uh, we faced that. And then a huge flood which came uh, uh, just last year. Now, Al-Khidmat has a big strength. There are so many other uh, organizations doing good work and we appreciate all of them. But the workers base which Al-Khidmat has, no other group has that. We had 60,000 workers on the ground which were uh, you know, uh, doing uh, welfare work in, in, in flood areas. And uh, all those, uh, internationally, we had 90 organizations who cooperated with us to, to work uh, in Pakistan. And we are working in health, we are working in education, we are working in clean water, we are working in uh, prisons, uh, we are working to give uh, interest-free loans to those who cannot get job and they want to establish things. We are working with orphans, so alhamdulillah, well recognized and especially in in flood uh, situation international community gave us a big support obama foundation uh, put our name right at the top uh, the I'm sure that's a good thing yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> even and, even jemima jemima and definitely and the UN Secretary General, when he came to Pakistan, uh, I'm the only person to meet him among the organizations because this is what they recognize that Al-Khidma is working uh, on the ground. What I say is that, Alhamdulillah, and this is blessing of Allah, that we uh, had extensive program of developing our workforce on the ground uh, to respond as quickly as possible. See, when the earthquake in uh, Turkey was there uh, on uh, 6th of March, on 8th, I was in Istanbul. And our team of 47 people followed me within the next uh, couple of uh, hours. And uh, with AFAD, which is the uh, organization uh, holding the uh, operations in uh, earthquake areas, alhamdulillah, this team was part of them for search and rescue. So uh, this is the blessing of Allah that we had such a good team on ground 
now we are trying to move into international arena and uh, we would like to to get some space in UN agencies as well and with other governments because uh, uh, in flood area, uh, especially those uh, who lost their homes and who lost their uh, crops and everything else, Alhamdulillah, we can deliver a lot. Don't you feel that, um, I mean, this this immense work, you're almost operating as a government. You're covering the very Sem- same semi-government. <laughs> that yeah, I mean, you're you're actually doing the job of a government That's in a true. way. Sometimes, sometimes even the job that even the government cannot do, because the government has a slow process, and the bureaucracy and bureaucracy and, and, and private sector can quickly reach to the uh, to the people and provide relief at the doorstep right away. Uh, so that that is the strength of Al Khidmat. It has uh, foot soldiers. It has field workers. I mean, when you say sixty thousand, that's an immense figure. That's, that's an true. immense figure. Yes. And that's, no other organization has this strength. They they might have money. Sometimes there they are organizations who had more money than Al Khidmat, but they were not able to disperse that money, to 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 reach to the doorstep of. And and that is the primary, and of course, uh, the integrity and transparency of Al Khidmat. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, about. I want to talk about three issues essentially: India, Kashmir, and Afghanistan. What does Jamaat Islami? What's its stand in regards with India as a neighbor, as a neighboring country, Kashmir? where India has occupied swathes of Kashmir and almost controls Kashmir. And this begs the question of exactly what Pakistan's strategic vision is regarding Kashmir. And then obviously Afghanistan and the um, return of Taliban to govern Afghanistan. So all of this, how, how do you see this? Well, as far as Jamaat Islami is concerned, we would like to have good relations with all our neighbors and including India, more so because we are, are an Islamic movement and uh, uh, for an Islamic movement, Dawa is also a major part of uh, its, uh, its struggle and we cannot mark one nation state as the enemy state because uh, our message is for all the humanity and we cannot exclude any geographical region or any country from this message. This is uh, part of our faith that we are bound to uh, spread this message, to give this message to all of humanity uh, with sincerity and with the, with the sentiments of their well-being. Uh, so uh, no a, a nation state is an enemy state. There, there are issues, there are issues, there are conflicts. And the major issue is that uh, Kashmir, uh, according to the formula of the partition of uh, India and Pakistan subcontinent, uh, all the Muslim majority areas were supposed to be part of Pakistan. And uh, India occupied it by force. And then it was India that, that went to United Nations and United Nations passed a resolution. And, and there are several resolutions that Kashmir is a disputed territory 
and its uh, ultimate decision is to be made by the people of Kashmir through an impartial plebiscite under United Nations. So that, that is the legal status of Kashmir. And we want this, uh, this uh, conflict to be resolved according to UN resolutions. That, that is the, the major contention. Honestly, honestly do you think that's going to happen? I mean, pursuing there, something there, is fine. There is a dispute. There is a dispute that exists. Now, how to resolve it, uh, we can invite them. Let's talk. We should accept that there is outstanding dispute between us and we need to address it. We cannot brush it under the carpet. And prim the primary party are Kashmiri people. It's not Pakistan, it's not India. If Kashmiri people are not willing to accept themselves as Indian citizens, I'm nobody and Indians are nobody to force them to accept it. So uh, it will not be resolved by uh, invoking an article from the Indian constitution because uh, there are UN resolutions and more important, the Kashmiri people, it, it is to be resolved according to the wishes of the Kashmiri people. How does that particular stand when you um, explain it like you've just done? How does that sit with the people of Pakistan? Do, do, they, do they accept this position? Do they espouse this position? Do they um, commend this position? I guess uh, uh, this is the only issue on which Pakistanis are on one page. All of Pakistan. All political factions. All the establishments. Factions, the even even the minorities and the army and the civil services and the political parties and a common person. Which so then they begs are, the question why there now, is no now movement. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you. The issue is that when you are facing a nation like India, of course, we cannot ignore uh, the strength of India as well. And we should not ignore the weaknesses of our system in Pakistan. We cannot uh, leave this issue behind and have relationship with India. No, not at all. But of course, to make a good resolution, we need to develop Pakistan in a position, in a strength position, so that we are in a better position to bargain and talk with India. Right now, honestly, we need to have our home straightened out first. But because we have problems inside, it's not possible that we ignore the issue of Kashmir. Kashmir will remain the top priority, not for Jamaat-e-Islami only, for whole Pakistan, virtually in the common man on the street and in uh, common person in schools and teachers and all those. Afghanistan. I mean, the uh, the role of Pakistan in in Afghanistan since the Soviet occupation, and then the struggle of the Afghani people through the Afghani jihad, and then the time after that where there was a civil conflict within Afghani Afghani factions, and then obviously we had two thousand and one and nine eleven, and then we had the American occupation, and then obviously twenty years on, we had the surrender of the Americans to. The Taliban once more. How do you see Afghanistan vis-a-vis -vis Pakistan, Pakistani politics, the establishment, the securitization of Afghanistan? Obviously, the, the intelligence, the Pakistani intelligence have a big, big role 
in uh, in Pakistan, old as well as recent. Um, so what's the situation there, but also what's the vision of the Jama'a Islami? On Afghanistan, our basic uh, stance is that the future of Afghanistan uh, is up to the Afghani people. They have to decide uh, how their country is going to be run. And uh, Pakistani government or, or political parties or people of Pakistan, they can facilitate in a way, they can facilitate a dialogue, but ultimately it's up to the Afghani people to, to govern. Um, Pakistan and Afghanistan are so interdependent that I can hardly imagine two other countries in the world that are so interdependent in terms of uh, security, uh, economically, and in terms of uh, our people. A tribal people extend over the borders and spill yeah. over and the such. Yes, the same people live on both sides of the borders. They speak the same language, they have the same culture, they have the same faith. So um, it is not possible that there is peace in Afghanistan and there is war in, uh, in, in Pakistan and there is war in Afghanistan. It is not, if Afghanistan is at war, if there is violence in Afghanistan, it will have spillovers in Pakistan and, and the, the other way around. So uh, it is in the interests of both the countries uh, to, to address the issues. Um, as far as Taliban are concerned, at the moment, I think there is no alternative. Practically, there is no alternative to Taliban government. The West has tried to uh, woo the Northern Alliance, but it was not workable. And for the first time in, uh, in, in the last 40 years, Afghanistan, the whole of Afghanistan is under one government. Uh, of course, there are issues. There are issues of women rights. There are issues of women uh, education. Education, yes. And oh, there, there is a desire uh, of international community that it should be a broad-based government, an all-inclusive government. Although I'm not sure if uh, every country in the world has of course. Uh, an inclusive government because it's always one party that comes to power and all the others are excluded. And uh, there is some people in government, others are in opposition. Are there, uh, are there direct contacts between uh, Jama'a Islami and the Taliban government? Yes, there are. And th I believe recently there was an, a delegation from Jama'a Islami that actually visited uh, Kabul. There, that, there, that... there were several de delegations. Several delegations visited. Uh, political leadership went there. Uh, we provided uh, relief uh, and assistance, humanitarian relief. And uh, um, delegations of academics and intellectuals, they went in large numbers to Afghanistan to, uh, to discuss their issues with the, their Afghan counterparts. Were they, were, they, were they constructive visits? Were they positive visits? Were they received well by the Taliban? I guess he can explain that much better, but I think, yes, uh, there, uh, there were uh, good gestures on both sides. But let me, and after endorsing what uh, Brother Asif has said, you know, put another perspective of uh, Afghan situation. Uh, Afghans have uh, uh, almost three generations has gone through these crises, bombs and uh, war and all those things. And uh, I... I 
don't think hardly any family who had not suffered one or another person among their uh, setup now once again as he said the uh, whole country is under one umbrella and one government this is uh, after a long time this has happened the world should wait for some time you know the reactionary situation if you are going through wars and all those things and then you expect them all together to be as rational as a person living in uh, new york or london and others should That's be unreasonable it's very unreasonable uh, they they should get some time to settle down with the situation in which they are and uh, behave like uh, normal persons can be so if word is not giving them that time space i mean uh, you have spent 20 years to uh, suppress them and kill them and now you are not giving them 10 years to come back and uh, make some realities on the ground this is one uh, important issue which people uh, should always realize secondly as as they are martial nation and uh, i'm sure now the world is changing and you cannot stop the changes coming into the system that has to come there we we need to support them in uh, education in health in another areas and uh, just giving them that kind of support in which they they really feel that somebody is sympathetic with them is more important than sending them the advices that do this do this do and do this of course we are not endorsing their policies of uh, not educating the girls or uh, so many other policies so we we have the differences but keeping and, and all those differences and you made that clear during the visits you made that clear that you were yeah definitely our leadership has conveyed them uh, our feelings and even on uh, certain subjects we have openly said it in in press and other areas as well but keeping that the realities are there so we have to to be patient and uh, you know uh, understanding the situation thank you very much thank you so much mashallah brilliant i've learned so much